So uh, before I jump right in, um, I would love it if you could humor me and take a Bible from your pews and just follow along with us. Uh, and those Bibles, by the way, as in the bulletin, they're yours to keep if you need one. Or if you want to give one to someone as a friend who says, hey, I would like a Bible, we don't have one. These Bibles are designed and put in there so you could give it away, use it, write on it. And if you write on it, write your name in it. Um, no money asked. Just, we just want us to dig into it. And today I'm just going to go right through this chapter. And the outline is going to be the text. And we'll start with uh, verse 36. And so we're going in a series called Stories of Redemption. And the beautiful thing about Easter is Jesus transforms people. He transforms the whole cosmos. There's a way for us to return to God. And along the way, we see little stories where individual lives were transformed. Last week, it was Levi, a tax collector. Today, it's this woman of the city who's unnamed, but she is forever known throughout history. And so, uh, join with me. It's on page 864, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to dive right into it. Verse 36. Would you read along with me, please? Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So Jesus is at the house of the Pharisee, and the Pharisee's name is Simon. Uh, it's not Simon the disciple, it's, it's Simon the Pharisee. And the house of this Pharisee, it's a very wealthy house. It's like a, this church, surrounded by walls, and there's a courtyard. And the dining table is in the middle of the courtyard. And the dining table is just a little wee high. And the way that people sat in old ancient Palestinian times was they would sit like this. And so Jesus is sitting on the ground and his, it's, it's custom to have your left elbow to be leaning on the table so that you could eat with your right hand. And so when you do that, everybody's feet are sticking out. And so Jesus is sitting here at this table and then verse 37, let's read it together. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of oil, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Stop. And so we have this picture going on. And just let that soak in for a moment there this, as we look at this picture. And I'm not sure who drew this. I was trying to research it. But if you can see the faces of the people around, they're wondering, this is awkward. <laughs> and why is he letting her touch her? It says she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. What a fantastic title to have. Jason Coe, he lives in Cyprus. The man of the city, a sinner. Like, I would love to have Jason Coe, you know, head of the fire department or, or the superintendent of schools. And this lady is a woman of the city who was a sinner. Her reputation precedes her. We don't know what her specific sin was, but the text implies based on her money, based on the way people treated her, based on her familiarity with everybody, she was probably most likely a prostitute. But not Mary Magdalene, for Mary Magdalene may not have even been a prostitute. It's another woman, and she is there, she's weeping. 
And she heard that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house. So she came and boy, did she show up with genuine, extravagant love. Like, I love my mom and dad. When they come into my house, I am not going to let down my hair and start wiping their feet. You know, I mean, it takes a lot to do this. So I asked my children, I read this story to them, and I said, what's the thought that comes to your mind? Why would this woman do this? And, and I was so thankful. My youngest, Ethan, goes, she was desperate. And I said, you're right. There was a desperation there. She was there uncaring about what other people thought of her, uncaring about what the reputation is. She just wanted to make it to Jesus. And when she saw him, overcome with grief and joy and just emotions and all she could do with love is just start crying at his feet uh, I believe in the old days um, they let people come in and from the crowd even though it was a private dinner they let public look in through the courtyard and listen in on teachings and dialogue so it's not surprising that she just stumbled in and I think the Simon the Pharisee probably liked the idea of getting attention so she made it through her way. And as she's crying, and as she's desperate, she's overcome with grief for her sin. And there's something about Jesus that she senses. And you ever have one of those moments where everything stops and it's just you and this other person in the middle of a crowd? Maybe you felt like that when you were first dating. Like, oh, just Kathy, and we're in a New York City, and I don't care. The world may fade away, but it's just you and me. That never happened, but I wish it did. You know, and, and then for me, I might have felt it, and she's just probably like holding it out. But for her, literally, the world just faded away. It was just her and Jesus, and that's all that mattered. And so we have verse 39. Let's read it together. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Quote, unquote, he said that. <laughs> and so we have a religious leader saying, Jesus is at fault here. Does he not realize how terrible, how low life, how horrid this woman is? What he should have been thinking is this. When he sees her crying, cleaning his feet, wiping it, kissing it, and then putting oil on it, what he should have thought is this. Oh, my goodness, I forgot. Because in the custom of the old days was this. If I invite Charles Horton over to my house as an honored guest, this is what happens. Charles comes in, and he's taller than me, and I would go, I would kiss him first, and I would hug him. Then I would say, servant, which is uh, Michelle, Jamie, Ethan, come on, bring water, and let Mr. Charles wash his feet because he's wearing sandals and all they had were just dirt no concrete they would wash his feet and then once that's all done the last step was literally to put oil on his head of perfume to say welcome what simon should have been thinking is i totally forgot and this woman ironically a sinner is the one that does it in the most beautiful way you know, this man, he thought, is a prophet. If he really is a prophet, he wouldn't know what kind of woman she is and wouldn't let her do this. But verse 40, Jesus is not just a prophet. He's God. He knows everything. He knows her. And Simon, he knows what you just said. 
Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, he, and Simon, he said, say it, teacher. And Jesus gives this parable. There were two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's equivalent to 20 months of wages. Think in California time. I looked it up, average California salary. 20 months of wages in California is $86,513. Imagine owing that debt. Okay, and then another had 50 denarii, which is two months, 10% of that, 8,651. Most people will look at 8,000 and say, that's a lot. And, you know, I could knock it out. 86,513 is, wow, that's a whole year's worth of salary. And neither of them could pay, Jesus is saying, so the money lender mercifully says forgiven. The word forgiven that we use is actually a financial term. It literally means you are debt-free, forgiven. Can somebody say forgiven? Uh, I mean, it just feels good to hear that, to say that, to receive that. It's great if, if your car company says, hey, your loans, you got 10 months payment left. You've been such a great guy. We forgive you. Like, that never happens. But imagine that happened. How, how free that feels. And so here's, where is Jesus going with this parable? What is Jesus' point? Now, which of them will love him more? That's the question he asks. Which of these two will love him more? Now, it's true to say both will be thankful. But his question is, the affection of the person, who will be more affectionate to the forgiver? The one with $86,000 debt? or the one with the $8,000 debt. And Simon answers on point, the one, I suppose, <laughs> I like how he adds that. He's like uh, falling into a trap. For whom he canceled the larger debt, and Jesus brings it home. And this is where Simon's like, Ugh. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water or for my feet, but she was, has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And the verb here is, this is awkward, she's still doing it. That's the verb. As he's talking, she's still kissing his feet, and Jesus is like, she's still there. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Uh, some say it's 300 denarii, a year's worth of value in that perfume. And Jesus is intentionally comparing here. You're a Pharisee, a religious leader, self-righteous in all your ways, and look what she has done. She has become more hospitable. And then he brings it home. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Be careful here. Uh, commentaries can't decide, agree on this. But people can't tell, was she forgiven because she showed love? And Jesus says, oh, because you love me, I will forgive you. That's what the wording kind of looks like. Or was her love, does she love because she was forgiven? And the way it's worded in the Greek, no, all the commentaries are all over the place. But I like verse 50. <laughs> and Jesus says, 
And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I believe what's going on here is her radical outward display of love was the evidence of the internal faith. She believes this Jesus is the one that could forgive her and is the hope for her. And in that outward display of faith, Jesus says, I see your faith. You're forgiven. Now, that's, I just wanted to go through that just so we could get a picture of what's going on in this setting. What is going on here? And so just a few takeaways. And just what does this mean to us? First, there is a difference between the Pharisee and the sinful woman. And it's not she has more sin. Let's look into it. What was the difference between the Pharisee and the sinful woman? Was it that she was a woman of bad reputation? The town harlot, and he was this righteous, upright religious leader? Was that the difference? Was it that she had a lot of sin and the Pharisee was really good? What was the difference? Here's the difference, and this is what Jesus is hitting at. The difference is this. She knew she has a sin problem. He does not. She knew she has a sin problem. The Pharisee says, I'm okay. I'm not perfect, but I don't have an issue like her. And even Christians who have been claimed by God depend on God. We need God's grace every day for our sins. We have to never forget that we live day by day by God's graces for our sins, even today. This is why Lent is not just giving up chocolate. But it's sacrificing and, and kind of taking this time to really meditate deeply. Where is my heart? And how far am I from Christ? What are the things that are impeding my intimacy with Christ that let my sin get comfortable? And so the Pharisee, she was broken, she was contrite, she was convicted of her sins and crying. She knew, everyone knew she was a sinner, and she said, I own it. The Pharisee doesn't own anything. The Pharisee, on the other hand, he said, I'm fine. What's wrong with this woman? Jesus, what's wrong with you? He has content and comfortable status with his own righteousness. Was he sinless? No, and Jesus knew that. In the parable, who had debt? Both people had debt. One was greater, but both of them had debt. Both of them needed forgiveness. And he's saying to the Pharisee, you may not have a lot as her, but you have debt that needs forgiveness. And you don't even see it. Um, Tim Keller says this. In modern day, we're, not, we're so unaware of our sins because we think sin is murdering, embezzling, lying on a scholarship scandal, you know, cheating, having an affair. We think, oh, I'm not that bad, that the church has a carbon monoxide problem, this silent but deadly sin of pride, self-righteousness. Let me read you what he says. Sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. 
And so the church has to wake up on this moment because it is so easy to say, we got to help those wretched sinners out there. But what Jesus is calling for is live in hum- humility and grace. Is there anything competing with God? That always needs to be brought to the surface. As a pastor, um, man, one of our biggest struggles is this pride, this accomplishment, our foundation, our performance, uh, the, the finances, the, the numbers. And we look at this and we say, yes! And then we start shifting from doing work for God. It's really about us. And so it's so sneaky. And the Pharisee, we could point our fingers at him, but it's all of us because it's easier to point fingers out there than to point fingers in here. And the Pharisee couldn't see his own sins because her sins were so terrible. And so sin is primarily idolatry. He was forget- the Pharisee, was, Simon, was forgetting to love God and love neighbor in his security of religion and laws that he kept perfectly. And he forgot the big point. And so the woman recognized the gravity of her sin. That was the only difference. She recognized it. And what do you do when you see your sins? You fall at the feet of Jesus and say, mercy, mercy. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Matthew 9, 12. We learned that last week with Levi. During the time of Lent, we need to recognize, boy, God, let's, let's, let's own this. What is it in me that really is keeping me from you? Let me, let me start blaming other people. Let me look at me. And what sins have entangled my heart? Second thing we see here is this power of grace. The text answers the question, how do I love God more? Have you, have you thought about that? Can you say to the person next to you, how do I love God more? Just, just say it. Just ask, just ask someone next to you, how do I love God more? So, like, how do I, lo- I mean, it, it's a real question. Like, boy, I want to love God, but I just don't feel like I love God. I, I, I like God, and he's cool. He's cool. He saved my, I, I'm, I'm going to heaven. All right? I, I'm, it's good. But how do I love God more? So maybe some churches, they have like revivals once a month, and we're going to cry and shout out to Jesus for three hours, and that's cool. We're going to go to retreats, okay? We're going to have a love God season at church, and potluck, we're going to always celebrate God's blessing. That's cool. The question is, how do I love God more is answered in this text. The human response to love is, well, human response to grace is love. The power of grace causes us to love God. Um, I was just reading about this. Uh, Man, YouTube is terrible because you you start watching videos and then, like, you start watching about cats and and ducks and geese. And there was one video where this guy rescued a little gosling, a little baby geese. And then the geese grew up and it just follows him wherever he goes. He, He rides his bicycle and the goose follows him. And the goose was so forever grateful that this man saved her life that she just follows him wherever he goes. And he went on a jet ski and, a, and, a, and a, like a fast boat. And he's like, the goose is like flying next to the boat. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of fun to watch. I, I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't, I don't have it. Some of you, don't look for it now with your phone. Some of you are like, goose. It's amazing the power of just grace, the power of kindness, of love how it invokes 
Who, did anyone say to the goose, now it saved your life. It's time for you to love the man. No, it's a natural reaction to something powerful. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Now, which of them will love him more after he canceled their debt? Jesus is looking for this love. Specifically, how do you invoke love of God? The Pharisee knew the answer. It's the one whose larger debt was canceled. The good news is that God forgives sinners through Jesus Christ, and the love of God becomes the overflow of the heart to God when we recognize how dirty our sins were. It's amazing how repentant we are when the cop pulls us over for speeding. <laughs> it's amazing how we see God beautifully when we realize you forgave all of that when I didn't deserve it. There's a beauty in this in verse 48 when Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven and I'm thinking, if she was loving him before he forgave her, if she was washing his feet with her hair and crying and grieving over her sin, can you imagine what she did after he said, your sins are forgiven? She is on cloud nine. She is one of the disciples who would go to the ends of the world for her. Him. She is devoted. Friends, how do we love God? It is not this like patronizing, like, God, okay, I'll give you a try. Let me, let me try loving you a little bit. You, you, you gave me kids. They're, not, they're all right, but they're cool. Thank you. I love you. But what Jesus is saying here is, how about this? When you see that you are a sinner, wretched, and this Jesus, out of his mercy and grace, says, I'm taking your sins, and I'm going to wash you clean, and I forgive you. That drives us to say, who do we have in life to give our whole things to except you? There's a song, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. And let me read just the four stanzas. It's a poem. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I have done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity. Grace unknown and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when God, the mighty maker, died for his own creature's sins. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. In that song, what is he saying? Where does thankfulness and love come from? So what Jesus has done, his grace overcomes me. His mercy, his love, poured out on a sinner who is wretched, captures me. And it dissolves my heart in thankfulness and melt my eye in tears. And so a pastor in New York has this brilliant quote, we don't repent to receive the kindness of God. Let me say that again. We don't repent to receive the kindness of God. We repent because God has already been kind to us. Wow. 
it just humbles us. And it just makes us look at the Father in heaven and say, I can't do this without you. You are my everything. It is not my power. It is not my strength. It is not my brilliance. It is you. Verse 49, as we read, and this, then those who were at the table with him began to ask themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just what amazing words to hear as a sinner. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And like the prodigal son, I have this question, did the woman find Jesus or did Jesus find her? And in the prodigal son, we find this both dance where the son ran away and he spent everything and returns home. And the father was waiting for him. And before the son arrived, the father ran to the son. The father was actively waiting. And the son had to return, though, but the father was already ready to forgive him. father was already loving him. And the grieving and the repenting and the sorrow of our sins is merely receiving this incredible grace of God to us. And it overcomes us, and it makes church for us to say, why do I love this God? Because he has given everything while I was yet still a sinner to claim me and hold me. Let's pray. Lord God, in this season, we pause to own our sins, not to excuse them, not to justify them, but to simply say, Lord, every day I need your grace. When we look at how you treated this woman, we realize you knew the cross was on the horizon and you forgave her. You paid for her sins and you knew each of us and you knew the world and you were bringing a restoration of the kingdom by dying. And God, woe to us if our response is, thank you, let us live our comfortable, happy lives just the way we like to. Rather, may we simply say, Lord, thank you for your peace. And we will follow you. We will go wherever you go. Lord, thank you so much for this good news. We pray in Jesus' name who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's all stand together and we change the last song. Let's sing, Alas and Did, My Savior. Please.